Sabrina Robinson. Give me a name. Josephine Baker. Welcome to Give Me a Name, where a guest presents me, Ben Kirschenbaum, with a dead historical figure they find interesting, and we discuss. I just got my second vaccine, so feel free to come a little closer and enjoy. Josephine Baker, singer, dancer, entertainer, mm-hmm. war hero, crazy awesome war hero, civil rights activist, mm-hmm. and mother, which I think is actually an important yes. descriptor. I think she would consider that an important descriptor for her. Oh yeah, we'll dig into that. But the twelve kids make you makes you like a mega mother. I so. think twelve kids. Yeah, yeah. no, that's <laughs> that, you've earned the title, yeah, no exactly. doubt about it. Um, born uh, June third, nineteen oh six, in St. Louis. And a famous Josephine Baker quote, and I think that it's kind of sums up a lot of her point of view, is, I have two loves, my country and Paris. And Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it sounds like kind of a superficial quote, but like her, like the ways that the French treated her as opposed to the ways Americans treated her and African-Americans in general, I feel like is one of the major themes of her life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if the other country's going to be Paris, I mean, that's just the best option. Oh, it, <laughs> sounds, it sounds so nice. So uh, her childhood, just really briefly, is, well, it's bleak. It's, yeah. it's, it's dark. So uh, the mother was a daughter of slaves. She didn't know her dad. He was possibly white, possibly Jewish. There's, yeah. like, a few... <laughs> A yeah. few, yeah. Leave it to me to find the Jewish angle on there every. There's a few Jewish angles. There's a few here. Jewish angles. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's really. So she herself may have been Jewish. There actually is a website called Jew or Not Jew, which it. it's not only they don't even give a yes or no answer. They rate it out of ten. Oh my gosh! And Josephine Baker, I get, uh, I forgot her exact number, but it's like a four or something because you don't know exactly. Oh. Gosh, that's so cool! I actually love the rating system. I hope I'm at least a four. Oh yeah, I, I think mean, just in terms of your like support for Jews, I feel yes, like. <laughs> like North Jersey suburbs living like Upper West. Oh, Side. that gives you at least a six. I don't think very, very <laughs> prosemitic. I love it. <laughs> so, she was born into uh, extreme poverty, and this would be St. Louis to Missouri, Jim Crow era mm-hmm. segregation. There's the East St. Louis riots in 1917, so when she's just a little kid, but that was basically a racial-slash-labor riot uh, where it estimated 40 to 250 African-Americans died, um, 6,000 left homeless. So yeah. growing up, she experiences racism in America very much firsthand yeah. from when she's very, very young. Mm-hmm. And... Very poor upbringing just in general. At the age of eight, starts working as a live-in domestic worker for white families and gets abused by a few of them. And age of 12, drops out of school and starts, actually, she has a tough relationship with her mother and lives on the street for a while, dancing uh, in order to make a little bit of money just on the streets. And gets married at 13. Out of all that, that's the one where I was like, Oh, my God. (laughs) I figured also that we would get rid of, like, there's going to be a lot of dark and depressing things throughout this, but I figured we'd just, like, breathe, (laughs) just kind of. She has a lot of highs and lows, for sure. But Mm. marriage at 13 is, like, crazy. And then, like, second dude at 15. Yeah, so she lived very early on. Yeah. Married at 13. That relationship lasts, like, a year or something like that. Yeah. It's probably tough to make a marriage work when you're 13. Exactly. I'm like, I can't even imagine. It's like. (laughs) 
Have you, you have, even gotten your period yet? Like, I, seriously. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how she... Yeah, so two marriages. So at 15, she has the second marriage, and mm-hmm. that guy, I forgot his first name, but his last name is Baker. They're both named Willie, which is so great, because that's a very <laughs> black male name, and I just love that she had two Willies. I can't. It, she was just... <laughs> it's just perfect. <laughs> so marries two Willies, the yeah. second one, Willie Baker, mm-hmm. and she begins to make her name for herself a little bit, while she's married to Willie Baker, so that's why Baker sticks for yeah. the rest of her life. Yep. So that is her married name to her second husband, who she's with for like a very brief amount of time. Yeah, she loves him and leaves him. Seriously. Yeah. And then she gets some hot French dudes. She does. And we can mention uh, at any point, openly bisexual. Yes, which is also very cool. I kind of picked her because like she's awesome in in general but i was like wow this would be me in a completely other universe like i feel like we're so not similar in so many things but she just has so many cool things i'm like wow wouldn't that be cool if i was a spy and like bisexual and like lived in france oh i think the same things absolutely yeah she's i would love to (laughs) be like my alter ego or something she's amazing she's really really cool so she um starts working as a dancer she's sort of discovered in st louis by like a st louis local vaudeville team i think it was all african-american yeah black vaudeville which is a lot tougher than regular vaudeville which was already pretty tough on the road life but yeah they would like um have their shows at the outskirts of town because that's really only where right people were like allowed to like congregate and like see the shows so and this would be to like exclusively black audiences exactly yes and so then she gets her big break. Again, this is one of those people where it's like, she's so accomplished and you look at the age and it's like, she's four. I know. <laughs> like, I'm like, I've done nothing. Great. Yeah. Great. I'm doing great. Yeah. It is that weird combination of like being inspired by someone at the same time being feeling terrible <laughs> about yourself. So when let you... me just go get some Ben and Jerry's. And just <laughs> so she goes to New York in 1921, which is kind of like the birth of the Harlem Renaissance or around mm-hmm. the, so she's around all of these incredible black artists ranging, you know, from literary artists to uh, painters and all this stuff. Yeah. Gotta be a really cool atmosphere. And like New York in the twenties. Oh my God. <laughs> like, she gets to hit up New York in the early twenties and uh, France. In the I 20s. know it's like, that's so cool. Yeah. She does go to all the places where it's like, if you could travel through time, where would you go? Yeah. She lives through pretty much all She's of them. Buddies with Hemingway in Paris. It's like, what? Buddies like, with Hemingway. Picasso amazing. is painting her in like, Paris. The, wow. It's amazing. So she uh, is in a show called Shuffle Along. Mm -hmm. She plays the pony role, which is something that I just learned about. But the pony is basically a person in a show who pretends to be a very bad dancer Mm -hmm. for the majority of the show and then comes out at the very end and like wows everyone because they know the steps even better than everybody else. Yeah. It's like, oh, you tricked me. You're amazing. And I love those things too where it's like we knew the trick was coming. and. It's like now when M. Night Shyamalan makes those movies and it's like, well, we know the twist is coming. So Seriously? why don't we just just do it and we Dude, can move on with our lives? That's such a funny aside. The Sixth Sense was like my first and probably only movie where I was like so shook by like the, the, the Sixth twist Sense the a- affected me. And I, was I like, think, what? yeah, I was so I must have been nine when yeah. that movie came out. Mm-hmm. The preview scared the shit out of me. And I didn't see it. I don't think I saw that till I was like 25. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. See, I think I saw it when I was like nine or 10. Ooh. Like, because I was just, 
I would just went to movies all the time. And my parents like just were like watch movies. Oh, my parents would do the same thing. So they yeah. would take me to you know. I mean, like just like for some reason gone. that one didn't end up happening. I'm trying to think of like the most inappropriate movie that I Fight saw. Club was also one of mine. I saw it in the theater. It you was 99. S- this is all the same year. This is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good movie. Fight Club, American Beauty. I think is that year. Yeah, my cousin <laughs> was taken to the movie Sling Blade when he was like 10 years old, and that one it's about a mentally challenged person who kills people with a sling blade. Oh my god, what? I need to look that up later. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great movie, but he was Terrifying. 10 and, and I don't know if he's recovered still. <laughs> That's, That's uh, fair. So Josephine uh, is in this show, Shuffle Along. She's making a bit of a name for herself. Mm-hmm. And, but um, as we said, like, you know, uh, America, particularly during this time, you know, as a black woman, she is met with an incredible degree of racism. She goes to Paris when she's only 19 and pretty much immediately falls in love with France. It's like hard not to in general. And I've only seen France like once and it was recent. I can't imagine in the twenties, 19, a beautiful, like especially pre world war two, like, yeah, I mean, this is the, I mean that, that, that's you coming, know. but, you know, like, yeah, I, at and, that moment. And Midnight in Paris, that Woody Allen movie. Exactly. I guess we're not supposed to talk about Woody Allen. But in any case. I like, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> it's not okay, but I I still love Woody Allen. I'm sorry, I can't. I actually find that one a little bit overrated. It is, definitely. It's, Any Woody Allen that's not in New York, I don't love as much as yeah, the ones that are in New York. <laughs> it just had all the names, but I, I, we're on the same page. Yeah. So, uh, but um, that depicts what. Hemingway called the movable feast, which was mm-hmm. like during the 20s uh, in Paris, you have Hemingway, you have Fitzgerald, you have Gertrude Stein um, and Picasso for a little while. And you have Josephine Baker Stay and hang. all of these people love Josephine Baker, adore Josephine Baker. And she felt, you know, just way more accepted within this community than she ever was. Uh, audiences are not segregated and uh, they love her as an entertainer. Mm-hmm. And she, you can watch clips of her on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and also her music is on Spotify, just her singing. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, she has such a unique, like, singing and especially dancing style. Just, like, like loosey-goosey. Kind of like a black olive oil, like, from Popeye. <laughs> That's a great call. Like, yeah. just, like, her legs. It's, it's also, it's just so fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not, for someone who went through all of this intense stuff, Right. And for, throughout her entire life, it's, you know, if you contrast her to like Billie Holiday, who is like pretty much contemporary to her, yeah. but Billie Holiday is singing these like soulful, you know, uh, songs about, you know, social injustice and all this stuff. Josephine Baker, when she's performing, at least, is like, it's, it's just for entertainment. Yeah, super. And she doesn't take it too seriously. And a lot of what she does is like towing the line of, playing with racism and how funny it is because that banana skirt thing right like that dress she plays into a lot of stereotypes but she makes it funny and like plays it to her advantage yeah it always feels like so her most famous the most famous image of her is her wearing this like banana dress it's like mm-hmm. 12 or 13 bananas as a skirt yeah like barely their skirt and like yeah no, no. so <laughs> and in general she often is not wearing much True. i don't even think she had a top in that <laughs> i don't think she has a top in that and like, it becomes like girl. this iconic like 1920s thing. Yeah. But exactly like you said, it's like it's like free and you never feel like 
they're right exactly what you said like she's like carrying a cheetah in one of these things so in some ways she is fitting the stereotype yeah but it always feels like she is in control yeah like owning it yeah um very much just owning the whole situation definitely definitely appropriating it for herself <laughs> and they also do this like she rarely plays an american and she often so okay so one stereotype that she's always filling is like you know african or that sort of you know kind of thing right but also there was one time where they cast her as a vietnamese girl um and it almost becomes like she just represents like the exotic or, yeah. or the foreign like it's not even necessarily like african-american yeah like like any dark-skinned foreign like she kind of could be be yeah um yeah definitely true so she was really that just whole exotic idea of dark-skinned female right and it just and i guess in general like in france unlike in america at this time they're they're welcome to it and they're intrigued by it and they're they're paying good money exactly yeah she was getting paid like at the height of her everything like 20k a week yeah can you imagine the rent (laughs) (laughs) so many apartments (laughs) well she has like later on like a chateau which you can visit oh it's still like i think you can still (gasps) go that's cool i want to do that (laughs) yeah no that would be fun (laughs) so um she's in a few movies the movies Mm -hmm. are popular in france they're not popular or popular in europe in general but they're not popular in america she does travel throughout europe a little bit and she's not welcome in certain countries yeah france it feels like is a pretty special situation it's so funny because i feel like nowadays we think of like you were saying european racism um, they're still racist, but it's somehow funny that they're better than American racists. Right. Because I'm like, when I think of France, I'm like, oh, I don't think they're like that. Like, loving of many people. They like to just tend to like French people. Oh, no, we could totally still. get it. When I, when I was reading all this stuff, I mean, I not to offend anyone from France, but when I think of France, I don't exactly think hospitable <laughs> exactly. and welcoming and warm. <laughs> Those aren't the first... <laughs> things that come to mind oh my god that's so true but in the josephine baker story they look fantastic i'm like do you secretly love me oh my gosh (laughs) i want to come over there um but in any case uh in 1936 she so this would be three years before the war she goes back to new york and she stars in a broadway revival of zigfield follies which was a big show at the time and this was sort of a the reviews that came in including from like time magazine so this is not like you know like bullshit newspapers or whatever like the posters yeah this is not like <laughs> it would be one thing if it's like the national review but uh or national Enquirer, national review something you know what you had me on either one national you review, said I think, it was with some conviction. like conservative <laughs> thing they probably would too they would um have yeah <laughs> uh, but, but yeah like it was time, nasty stuff time magazine and it's all racially driven um, basically saying that that she's terrible and that she's she's no good. Mm-hmm. And right after that, in 1937, she goes back to France. She marries a Jew. <laughs> she marries a French Jew. Yay! <laughs> That's the dream. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, renounces her American citizenship and becomes a French citizen. I guess through marriage, she was able to do that really easily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with good reason. I mean, the reviews were so rude. And it was like not even about her ability there was also with that Zigfield Folly show she was dancing with like four white men 
Yes. Like, so they were like leading her around and that was a big deal just to American audiences. Just to dance. Yeah. Just the fact that she was on the same stage with them and like there, there was like, she does something sensual all the time. So it was probably a dance that was more yeah. exotic and showing that there could be an interracial relationship and they didn't like that. Right. And it was not a good scene. Right. So. And also like, this is New York. This is the North. I know. And you it's know? like, really, guys? Yeah. So it's, and I feel like that often happens with, you know, you, you you immediately associate racism in America with the South because of the Civil War and Confederacy and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But to, you know, Northern urban racism yeah. is very much a thing. So annoying. It's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah um, she's it not led into a lot of hotels. Mm-hmm. Yes, the audiences are not legally segregated. It's not Jim Crow, but... It's, right. it's Broadway in the 1920s. It's probably an all-white audience. Exactly. And yeah. just completely not accepted. Anyway, this inspires her to go back to France and just say, I'm French. Yeah, dude. I would do the same thing. I mean, obviously. And, like, they love her there. Like, she's so welcome. Like, yeah. highest paid entertainer there. It's like, how could you not? Yeah. And, okay, so now we're getting into the war years. Yeah. And I've got to say, like, when you first mentioned Josephine Baker to me. I knew about the banana dress. Right. I knew that she was a famous entertainer. I knew that she was mainly popular in France. Mm-hmm. What I did not know was the non-entertainer stuff that she did. Yeah. And that starts in World War II. She is asked to be a honorable, quote, honorable correspondent by French military intelligence. So she's a spy. Yeah. <laughs> a Matahari style, um, you know, working for the French. And and also, like, her loyalty to France and her love of France has her be like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like she, does not, she does not hesitate. Yeah, she signed right up. Um, and they really used her, like, fancy high status to, like, get all this intel. And yeah, she I mean. Like, she, sneak it? That's awesome. She, who would you, they're using her fame, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, who would be a... You know, less like, you know, she's, she's, no one suspects her. Right, right. Um, and that allows her to get away with a lot of stuff. And I don't know the exact impact, um, but whatever she was doing really helped France. Like, especially when she had to get out of Paris because Germany took Paris. Right. She was taking care of like getting visas for Jews and stuff um, in, from her chateau, like hiding people there. So, so there are like a few stages of this. So I think before the Germans take Paris in 1940, she is like rubbing elbows at like embassies, Italian yeah. embassy, uh, Japanese embassy. And she's like getting information on German war, like troop locations. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> the thing that I don't totally get is how that would come up. <laughs> In like a casual <laughs> conversation. This is a great martini. Yeah. So, <laughs> where are where's the that Nazis? flank? Yeah, <laughs> the Nazi flank. Oh my god. So they keep referring to her that she's like incredibly charming and obviously incredibly smart. So she does find ways to get information. She also like some of the other spies hide as like her band or her yeah, dance instructor. Cool. And she's writing stuff down, like sending messages on invisible ink on her uh, music sheets. Yeah, I didn't know that was really a thing. And she's ink. she's like hiding stuff in her underwear, in her bra. Yeah. Um, and the other, right, so the other thing she does during the war is once uh, France is, is, once Paris is taken over, she moves to the south of France. And exactly what you said, she's like housing refugees. I mean, yeah. she's she's housing people trying to get out. And... 
eventually she makes her way to North Africa, to Morocco, where she continues to help get people, uh, save people, get them visas, and mm. have them get out of, you know, Nazi-occupied territories. Yeah. She's just awesome. She did a lot of really cool stuff, and a lot of her entertaining that she was doing at that time was, like, free, I think, too, and she was just doing it to keep going. I mean, I... I World War II is such a bummer. <laughs> it just, it <laughs> yeah, just no. sucks. I'm like, I can't believe this happened. Like, people were having a good time and just ruined <laughs> such a downer. <laughs> I agree. I, but I will say this. Like, any – I guess this applies to, like, movies, too. I mean, any tragic event, any awful event, I am always inspired by the heroes, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, the worst things in history bring out, obviously, the worst in people. Mm-hmm. But it also brings out the best in some people. And, like, if I think of any, like, World War II movies like Life is Beautiful or Schindler's List, like, those movies are obviously incredibly depressing. Mm -hmm. But they're about good people. You know, they're they're about the hero of the story is a good person. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like the Josephine Baker story, if I focus, obviously the surroundings are very upsetting. But if you focus on her individually, I find it kind of uplifting. Yeah, definitely. It's a very positive outtake on it. Um, but yeah, she really was like a beacon of hope there. It really makes sense why she got so many honors, you know, at the end of her life. Yeah, so she's given like pretty much every French honor after the war. Um, the Croix de Guerre was the one, I think that's like basically the knighthood equivalent in France. (laughs) And she, uh, happily wears like the French military uniform too later in her life. And Mm -hmm. I think it just sort of, all the honors that she gets from this, just like the, accolades that she got from being an entertainer just makes her even more French yeah you know that's that's her home that's exactly what she you know identifies as um so that's essentially the World War II stuff like you said she's entertaining the troops during this time she does get very very sick yeah this was crazy um she got super sick I don't know exactly of what but there's also like this side story where I think she still got sick, but some people were like, they just faked saying that she was dead so that she could help them get more information. And right. It's, more it's all a little blurry, like what was done. It's such such a diva move. It's like, is she dead or not? She's yeah. back from the dead. <laughs> so they claim that she's dead. People in America think she's dead. Langston Hughes writes a eulogy. Oh, my gosh. For her. That's crazy. And then I guess a little while after, they're like, yes, yeah, <laughs> we <laughs> She's <laughs> That's awesome. That is the ultimate diva move. Yeah. That like, is a fun, like, Tom Sawyer thing. Like, I, I do I do sometimes think about faking my death just to see how people would react. Exactly. It's like, yeah. oh, they do love me. Okay. No, never mind. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> and then come back and just be like, that was a great speech. Like Langston, thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> the best writer in America exactly. just wrote, like, a beautiful thing for me. That's awesome. And she that's... lived the best life. I mean, it was, like, tough, but she, I feel like she experienced so many crazy point it's definitely like four lives wrapped into one seriously so so cool so that would be all the world war ii stuff and now after world war ii in 1951 she comes back to america she does some shows in miami there is a big uh you know they want the 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 people in miami want the show to be segregated she Mm -hmm. fights to get it not segregated and she does win that battle um and she becomes kind of an American hero, at least amongst African-Americans. Yes, which is very cool. Um, and I saw this like little piece on it from the black perspective, the black American perspective about her. Because 
a lot of people at that time, especially young girls, like loved her and idolized her, but didn't really know much about her. Right. Just that she was like this cool black French chick who spoke French and like lived in Paris and just had a pet cheetah. And it's like imagining the ultimate diva, like how when I was a kid, I would imagine like um Amy Campbell or something like right. a foreign black is just like so intriguing to like American blacks. <laughs> Why do you think that is? It's just like, like we don't even realize that we could exist in other places. Oh, I okay. feel. And that yeah. may be also from, I think it is very much an American black American thing, but it could be, you know, black French or like when they meet a black German, they're like, Oh wow, we're over here too. We're like black Swedes. There's that too. Right. But I think for us, because we have this whole issue with race in this country, like when we see, us somewhere else not having the issues that we have over here it's like oh wow we could be happy (laughs) or like i don't know there's like there's so many different kinds of life that we can live besides this one that like we see every day right there's a refuge there's like a paradise kind of exactly yeah just another alternative because i don't want to like be such a downer i like i love being a african-american i love being american but it's just interesting seeing that there's another way that you could live somewhere else. And that doesn't have, I mean, well, all these European countries have pretty rough histories when it comes to all of this. Yeah. But that doesn't have this ingrained, you know. Ingrained's the, a good the, word. The, you know, America's original sin kind of thing. Yeah. Like it just can't, you can't ever escape it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so she goes back in 1951 to America. She performs in Miami. Uh, things are going well. She, I was about to say, well, that's not a good way to put it. Um, she, it's going well in the sense that she's touring and that she's selling in fr- selling uh, tickets in front of audiences yeah. and they're not segregated crowds. She is uh, getting, like, you know, hate mail, death threats, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. She starts to become a bit of an activist at, a bit, at this point, an American activist at least at this point. Right. And she uh, starts giving speeches at, like, historically black colleges mm-hmm. um, and participates in the, uh, oh, the Save Willie McGee rallies, which yeah, was, sad. like, 1951. Another Willie. Oh, my God. Third Willie of the story. Yeah. I it just <laughs> it. I love the name Willie. Um, and, uh, oh, so the Save Willie McGee rallies, this was a, a story um, where a black man was accused of raping a white woman in mississippi with as was the case in a lot of as was often the case very flimsy evidence Mm -hmm. and he was executed in 1951 before the execution and after the execution it became sort of a big um you know inspiration for protest yeah and and josephine baker gets you know on board with that and becomes one of the spokeswomen of that yeah yeah she really like just started to own the role of being more of an activist which was great to see um because, like, she really could have not been bothered. Like, when you really think about it, she really could have just been, like... Oh, yeah. Whatever. Like, France is so nice. She, yeah, she's got a chateau. Yeah. She she didn't have to come back to America. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was something driving her to come back to America. Yeah, like, to perform and, like, show that she really... What she had done and the fame she gained in Europe and show it off to America. But the fact that she didn't just stop there. She, like, got involved with our problems again, like, really shows how... In her heart, she really wanted to just better the world and society. And I think what was so intense and what struck her, and she says this um, in speeches later on, was like, I'm Josephine fucking Baker, and you're treating me like this. Seriously. How do you treat people that aren't the highest paid performer, you know, in, in Europe? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, you're right. And uh, so she's not, there's this one event that happens in October 1951, and this is what, you know, just sort of American uh, people screw her over again. It's at a place called the Stork Club in New York, and she's criticizing the owners of the club because uh, she sees that they discourage black patrons from coming in. And there's a bit of an altercation with this guy, Walter Winchell, who was a columnist that was like beforehand pretty uh nice to joseph like i think wrote Mm -hmm. good things about her yeah but uh they have a altercation winchell calls her a communist when this is the 50s that's like you know the worst thing you can possibly call someone Mm -hmm. and uh or i mean in terms of like getting in trouble yeah and apparently grace kelly who the famous actress who would go on to become the princess of monaco Mm -hmm. she defends her during this whole thing um but uh, eventually her visa gets revoked because of this controversy and she's in this case forced to go back to yeah like Europe. all of her shows had to be canceled like it's crazy um and this guy basically i think the store club was treating her unfairly she wanted willie to like support her and he was like i'm out and it just kind of shows sometimes where like Back in the day, maybe it wasn't convenient for some white people to, like, really be an activist. And it kind of speaks to not just saying you're an ally and actually doing things when, like, it becomes necessary. Right. And, like, Grace Kelly in that situation was actually, like, an activist. Like, she stood up um, to, like, the situation to defend uh, Josephine. Whatever the situation was, because I don't think it's, like, super clear. But, yeah, this guy didn't stick up for her. And then seemed to go, like, out of her way, out of his way to, like... Like blacklist her because like you're right, calling someone a communist is like super intense. Yeah, in you'll get your visa revoked. This is like height of the Cold War, early fifties. Yeah. So and it's like, do you really think I'm bothered with Russians right now? Like, yeah, no. I, I mean, I don't think there are stories where Josephine Baker, like, I think she performs in Cuba. It could definitely eventually. have been believed because she was so international. But, but it's some. so crazy <laughs> yeah. to just like because of some fight. Being communist has nothing to do with what's right. going on right now, you know. Exactly. Um, so yeah, they like totally just ruined it for her. But, um, no fault of her own. But that's also such a like intriguing theme where it's you know the famous Martin Luther King quote where where he's basically saying like I forgot the exact word, but like being a bystander basically is as bad as definitely you know being. I mean, you know, th- this guy Winchell is you know not a KKK member or something like that, but he's very much contributing to the atmosphere that's going on. Yeah, he let something racist happen in front of him, and then he decided to, like, make it even worse for someone of color for no real reason. So, yeah, really shitty situation. So then she goes back to France. She's not allowed back in America, not allowed back in America now for pretty much a decade. Yeah. And... In France, she starts right around this time what's known as the Rainbow Tribe. Oh, my gosh. And this part of her life I want to get into because— She has just so many actual segments of her life. They're so different. Yeah. This it was also one. one of those things where, like, when I'm doing research on this and, like, thinking about how you can organize her life, it's sort of, like, perfect— it's like per- it's like perfectly outlined. Like yeah. there's the war section, there's the entertainer section, there's the Rainbow Tribe. It's a the great rights. Wikipedia page. It really oh, is. it is a perfectly constructed. <laughs> I would recommend anyone bloop, bloop, to bloop. check out the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I couldn't recommend it. Uh, 
it's such a weird thing to endorse a Wikipedia page. Oh like man, not... I love Wikipedia. Love looking up dead people. <laughs> Wikipedia. Oh, it's great. the best activity. Article of the day. <laughs> but also, uh, <laughs> but I also think it's like. You know, not like, oh, you got to see this movie or you got to read this book. It's like, you have to look at this encyclopedia <laughs> because yes. it is a roller coaster. That's why I think I like it so much because my dad used to buy me all those Britannicas mm. back in the day that yeah. would take up like the whole wall of books. Yeah, just the look of it. Oh, like, I love a good research. Yeah. Oh, man. And alphabetical. Yeah, dude. There was, I once went over to some friend's house and their parents had the encyclopedia that, and it wasn't alphabetical. And I don't know, I mean, I don't, I'm not like diagnosed with OCD or anything like that, but I think that was one of the most, that was more disturbing than The Sixth Sense to me. I thought you were going to say you actually took them all down and rearranged them. <laughs> I would have been like, oh my God, yeah. little baby Ben. Yeah. Being like, this I'm is like unacceptable. Five years old, I'll play with you later, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. They probably weigh more than you. Those were heavy ass books. Those were heavy ass <laughs> books. That's true. But I do love just like the organization of that, you know, kind of encyclopedia thing. Definitely. Um, but yes, go check out the Wikipedia page of <laughs> Josephine Baker. There are other <laughs> I would recommend other things like like, you know, articles or whatever. There's not there's there are documentaries about her, but I actually saw that I think LeBron James is producing a limited series about her. Shut up. Yeah. Coming, I, I think, in the near future. Like, okay. the agreements, are, I don't know if they started filming or anything. I'm looking this up. Yeah. I am ready for so many, like, famous black biography movies to just start hitting, <laughs> like, hitting the screens. Like, all of it, you know? This would be, like, a great one. Though. Such a great one. Yeah. And, like, you know, you just don't think about it. I'm sure there are ones for, like, um, Asian, Muslim, all of it. Like, uh brown as well all the colors but now that everything's diversifying more i feel like we're gonna be seeing more of these really cool like yeah. biographies and learning about really awesome people that we didn't know much about yeah so i mean this one would definitely end okay so the rainbow tribe because this is would be a good yes. segment of the movie and i think uh or, or a limited series it should get an episode on its own <laughs> she adopts 12 children beginning in 1953 and it's I don't want to call it a social experiment because that is that seems like I'm being mean about it. I think it's very worse. But <laughs> she, the idea is I'm going to adopt 12 children. They're going to be all different races, all different creeds, and I'm going to raise them differently so that they have all sorts of different backgrounds and prove to the world that this they can live in harmony. Yes, that's an experiment. I think it's a very good thing that you phrase that you use because I mean she really I'm saying all of this because just honestly looking at it and I know she was doing had good intentions and in all of it but it's like girl really like 12 kids all at once it's hard to imagine that those kids would end up well adjusted I don't know yes. exactly what what the result ended up being so I'm that's I, true that would be a good series on its own as well like what happened to the rainbow tribe like how are I they doing I would love to know <laughs> it's just one crazy. of them wrote a book about her so, and I don't think it's a book like, I, I mean, I'm Mommy sure there's Dearest. some critical. Yeah, I don't think it's Mommy Dearest. I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I might be wrong, but I don't think it's, you know, Mommy Dearest or uh, This Boy's Life. You know, yeah. one of those like. Um, <laughs> but so she raises all these 12 kids. Mm -hmm. uh, she, <laughs> this one I found interesting for obvious reasons. She wants a Jewish kid. Hell yeah. But Israel 
the country Israel won't like allow her to adopt a kid. I guess they they want. I think it's literally that they just want all the Jews in Israel, and they don't <laughs> want to give Jews. They're they're more interested in receiving. <laughs> That's so funny. So her uh, what she does instead is she takes a French kid, names him Moshe, <laughs> and raises him Jewish, and gives him a bar mitzvah and the whole thing. Circumcises him. I don't know. Maybe. Not. Yeah, I assume. Circumc- <laughs> I don't know if she personally, but yeah, she probably got the oil. Yeah. She personally. Yeah, she was like, I'm making this happen for myself. This I do kid. not care. It ends up being just like so offensive that she's just like crazy. Yeah. And could you imagine? I don't know. I took a little Korean kid. I was like, Jamal. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah. You're going to be black now. Yeah. yeah, you're Jamal now. We're missing certain things. I already have a Korean in the group, so we've got to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. It up. Yeah. Um, also, Angelina Jolie, by the way, who famously yes. also adopts kids from different races, uh, said that Josephine Baker was an inspiration for her. That's so cool. I didn't know that. And like um, when I was reading about that with Josephine, or was like learning about that. I thought of Angelina Jolie. Yeah. She just copied her. So it's crazy. Now, here's the part where it gets a little too social experimenty for mm-hmm. me. The she has them all grow up in this chateau in the south of France. She charges admission for people to come look at the children play and Mm -hmm. grow up and to see that, you know, they're doing great, basically. Yeah. But it's it's, crazy. It's a zoo. I mean, it's... (laughs) It's a zoo. It is. It's crazy. I mean, on one hand, I'm like, good job for you thinking about a business way to keep this running because, like... This whole idea forced her into like financial ruin. Yes, like, yes. No, she goes broke raising well twelve kids. It's, like twelve kids yeah. and and trying to be extra about it. Like, like all these different ways. Be like feed these kids like grits in the morning, oatmeal for lunch, and like pasta <laughs> yeah. dinner. Like trying to do all these different things. And yeah, she went totally broke. So I'm glad she tried to make some money. But yeah. you're right, it was a complete experiment. Yeah, or just I don't know. I think. I think that there were a lot of decisions on this one that she could have done differently. Mm-hmm. Here's one thing that I did read, though. This idea of like adopting kids from a lot of different groups and trying to prove that it would work, she's not the only one who was doing this at this time. Really? She didn't like coin this idea. Apparently, right at the again, it goes back to the Cold War. At the beginning of the Cold War, a lot of people in the West wanted to show, I guess, you know, the communist world that a lot of kids can grow up in harmony as long as they had, like, Western values. Oh, that's messed up. So this was a time <laughs> where, not to take away credit from Josephine, I'm not no, trying to say she's like, not. No, but, like, that whole idea is, like, wow, yeah. You know, I wanted to do that with, like, husbands. I just wanted. Just get one of each. That's way healthier in my book. Like harem, harem. How do they say that word? <laughs> yeah, have your own harem. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. exactly what I wanted. It's like, yeah, well, we'll see what like a Blasian baby looks like, and then like a white and Jewish one. I mean, a black and Jewish one, or like black and Indian. And I was like, this is gonna be an awesome. Oh idea. wait, oh, wait, I misunderstood. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I, I thought have the harem and then have the baby. Got it. I <laughs> thought it was just marrying the people, which I think is way more harmless than producing. Well, then we could just have these cute ass like mixed babies, but yeah, we don't have to have the kids. The babies would be good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd be so good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to see like which one looks better. <laughs> What's the magic mix? So yeah, that is a crazy experiment as well. I'm no better. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I think that. 
I think the kids might be messed up. I mean, maybe not. I think the kids might be messed up. But <laughs> what you are doing to humanity by showing which mixes of races produces the best. I don't know. Now it sounds like eugenics. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, so that is one element of her life. And the reason why I said mother at the beginning, because like her being a mother of these 12 til- children is no- uh, noteworthy. Full-time job. Yeah. Um, so... The last sort of stage of her life is as a civil rights activist, Mm -hmm. which she begins in the 50s, but the highlight of her civil rights um, activist career is that she is the only female speaker who is assigned to speak at the March on Washington Mm -hmm. in 1963. Intense. And so a couple other female speakers do speak, but they weren't like actually on the you know official on the program. List. Yeah, um, I don't know if they gave people a program. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> be so organized. That would be a little <laughs> nice stationary. Yeah, <laughs> Just like here you go. Oh, they give them the what's the Broadway thing called? Like the playbill. The pro- yeah, yeah, yeah playbills. <laughs> and they have little headshots of like oh, MLK and Rosa Parks. Little bios yeah. and stuff. Oh, that'd be so cute. I miss Broadway now. <laughs> uh, so, but she is the only one that that officially speaks. Yeah. Um, and she is. I'll use a stand-up term. She is MLK's opener. <laughs> what an honor. She's the first speech. She's the last speech right before the I Have a Dream speech. Like, what a legend. That's crazy. Like, that's literally, I can't even imagine that moment in history being like, I am part of this. And I'm like, yeah, opening for the dude. Yeah, that was a big, big, big time. Job. Also, way better position than following that speech. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to like call it over at that's, that point like drop the mic that's no one rough. should come up after that reminds me that uh lincoln's gettysburg address which i mean i guess that and the eye of a dream speech probably the two most famous speeches in american history seriously and he wasn't the keynote speaker in gettysburg lincoln someone went after him someone had to follow him and apparently the guy who followed him went on for like two hours no yeah after lincoln famously gives this you know that speech you can memorize Why do people it. talk for that <laughs> i think that was a big thing then Oh my god because no one had iphones no one had anything to do yeah it's everyone like, is just doing like a you know <laughs> chris rock set for like three or Chappelle <laughs> in particular where he just goes on for three hours oh my god that's hilarious so Good she aside. gives a speech right before um i'll give i want to say at least one quote from the speech you can uh, i'll put up the link for the speech it's a short speech and it's great and One thing she says, which is uh, noteworthy, I think, is uh, you must get an education. You must go to school, and you must learn to protect yourself. And you must learn to protect yourself with the pen and not not the gun. Mm -hmm. So very in line with Martin Luther King, very much like a pacifist. Yeah. And me as a little nerd loving school, I'm like, yes. This powerful pen. Yes, and tell me to go to school. I love school. (laughs) Tell me. Also, a really cool thing was in, in the 50s, before she got kicked out of America, they had assigned her a day. Yeah. Josephine Baker Day, and it's May 20th, which is my birthday. No, really? Yeah, and I didn't know that before, like, picking her or anything. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a sign. I'm going to be French. I'm going to be a spy. I'm so excited. Here you go. <laughs> Never too late to start. It's going to be part of my destiny now. And, oh, the other quote that I thought was, uh, that I think is worth mentioning is, and when I got to New York way back then, I had other blows when they would not let me check into the good hotels because I was colored or eat in certain restaurants. And I went to Atlanta, and it was a horror to me. And I said to myself, my God, I am Josephine, and if they do this to me, what do they do to the other people in America? It really is just ridiculous. Because, like, sometimes, like, even today, 
people can like sense like if people are like looking down at you. I can't even imagine in her situation, like with all the jewels she probably had on in the furs and she can't get into this place and probably some broke ass like I mean, Becky's walking th- around. That does I, I think that's one of the most powerful things because ninety nine percent of the time money is power. Yeah. Money, and they were still like, no. Yeah, money money beats everything, particularly in America. But yeah. oh, I mean just in human history. Yeah. And the fact that money didn't and fame didn't get her uh you know better treatment is really a testament to just how awful things were yeah and just how deep-rooted it was it's like they just could not overlook look it it's crazy um and her i I think one more thing worth noting after martin luther king is assassinated coretta king uh, martin luther king's wife asked josephine to lead the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. and josephine declined for family to take care of family and damn rainbow truck and you know the 12 kids i mean it would have been hard to balance running the civil rights movement with 12 kids i can't even imagine they could have their own little marches and yeah that's true she (laughs) she has like a good amount of followers already seriously um she dies in 1975 and is performing till the very end yeah because it was, like, too early. Like, was she even, like, she just hit 70, I think, or something. Like, when she died. And, young. And, like you said, like, financial trouble, really, till the very yeah, end. Yeah, I think she was, like, stressed, like, and it just put, like, a decline on her health. Because I think it was just a bunch of um, strokes. Yeah, yeah, at the very end. And as we said, like, early on, she was, like, pretty sickly for most of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she had, like, abdominal troubles, and I think she had to have a hysterectomy. They're, they're just, like, throughout her life, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, uh, yeah, a, a lot of health problems. And she has a funeral procession in April 1975, uh, given full military honors in France, um, 20,000 mourners in France. And I can't she, even imagine that. It just stays in line with this, you know, whole thing of, you know, she is to this day a French icon and becoming an American icon as well. But that's much later. France appreciates her at the time, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So she definitely had a crazy, amazing life. And just the way she went out in France with the honors and the mourners is just can't even imagine that's so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So the question that I want to ask, and I feel like you've addressed it uh, throughout, but just to act it, uh, ask it directly, why did you choose Josephine Baker? Yeah, I chose Josephine Baker because I first off, foremost, wanted to pick um, black women. Okay. Uh, it's a little selfish, but I was like, it has to be black women. <laughs> 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 but like, bes- besides that, which still give me a lot of awesome choices, I just loved. Um, the whole idea of her, she's an American woman, um, raised in hard circumstances, like part of the country that I haven't even been to kind of scares me a little bit. Right. And so you're from Jersey, right? Yeah. I'm okay. from Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then moved to France. I just had this like romantic, amazing life and career and, you know, rubbing shoulders with these crazy legendary artistic figures over there. And we talked about with Hemingway and such and just really owning what she wanted to do and how she wanted to live her life, which I really liked. And that at the bare minimum was like, oh, I love her. And then you get into it and then you learn about the military piece. Right. Yeah. Her as an individual, plus just like for historical purposes, you get to cover so many different periods in history. Yeah. And I think also with, you said you wanted to choose a black woman. I feel like that's because I'm asking people to choose one person as opposed to like, you know, four or five. 
I feel that it is very important to people to choose someone who, you know, represents them in some sort of way. Definitely. Because, I mean, deep down, I'm like, I I love Buster Keaton, dude. I love Stanley Kubrick. But I was like, oh, my mom ever sees this. She's like, you didn't pick, you picked a white man. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, they're cool, too. But she's also cool. And she's black. (laughs) This is so funny because I wanted to, like, buy, um, like, white Santas. Which you may not, which you may relate to being Jewish. Maybe you wanted to buy cute little Christmas things, but my mom never let me buy like white Santas. Oh, they had really? To be black. <laughs> they had to be black yeah. Santas. So I could see her being. Like, oh, I wanted to buy person. Santas too. I once uh, there was a Santa that would always come. So I lived in an apartment building growing up, and there was a Santa that would always come to the lobby. And my my parents actually, in retrospect, were cool about it. They they would let me like sit on the lap and stuff. <laughs> um, and I guess as a Jew, I'm like demanding eight presents, right? So the guy doesn't. <laughs> Thinks Gosh. I'm annoying. Uh, just get this Jew off my lap. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. Get this Jew off my lap. Wow. That's a great quote. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. No, that all. Josephine Baker had I have two loves, Paris and, you know, my country and mine. <laughs> just get this Jew off my lap. That's <laughs> when you have a special, that needs to be the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Um, I think, I mean, unless there's something else on Josephine, I think we covered... Uh, you know, a person who, uh, l- like anyone, but I think especially in this case, someone who can't exactly be, you're not going to get the whole picture in, you know, less than an hour. Yeah. Um, but uh, I hope that this is like inspiration to for listeners to keep reading more and to see, I guess, the LeBron uh, miniseries. Seriously, that's crazy. That sounds so exciting because she deserves like a whole... Not just a movie. It needs to be a miniseries. It needs to be yeah, more you than need, like... you need it to be a few-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's... Yeah. Um, anyway, Sabrina Robinson, is there anything you want to plug? Nope. Just happy to be alive. Hope everyone's yeah. doing well out there. Is the Sabrina and Sid show going on? Oh, yeah. Sid and Sabrina show is going to be starting up again April 11th. Um, always going to be Sundays, West 69th and Central Park at like 3... 30 i believe we're gonna stick with so a great brunch time show yeah nice little daytime show yeah like get a little buzz get some mimosas in you and then come over to the park yeah it's fun time bring your banana skirt and (laughs) come on by (laughs) yes actually please do i'm gonna look for a banana apparel (laughs) i think anyone should yeah it is hard for i think (laughs) i don't want to say anyone i I feel like a lot of people would have trouble pulling that off including myself i don't mean to make it sound like (laughs) um Anyway, Sabrina, thank you so, so much for being on and talking to me about Josephine Baker. Awesome time. Thank you.